J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and a panel of industry powerhouses as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's Inc. Hi, it's Christine Daigle. J.P. Reinflush. Kevin Tomlinson. And this is J.D. Barker. Welcome to a special episode of Writer's Inc. We've got Hugh Howie back. Yay. Yeah. For those of you tuning in, we literally just finished recording the, the previous episode 10 seconds ago. Now we're recording Hugh Howie. The plan was to make it sound as if it's a brand new episode and we just got here. But yeah, we've got literally nothing to talk about because we just spent 30 minutes talking about <laughs> stuff. Nope. Um, but yeah, very excited to have Hugh Howie back. Here he is talking about his, his, his new series, Silo. We do not know how long we have been underground or who built the silo. We do not know why there is no life outside the silo. We only know that here is safe. And there is not. So it has been a little over a year since you were last on Writers Inc. And we've got a release date, a new name, and a trailer that launched a few weeks ago. How has this experience since you've last been on? How has this been? It's been a long way, man. It's hard to sit on everything <laughs> for so long. Um, uh, man, the getting the trailer out there has been the biggest uh, relief possible because I've, I've seen some of this stuff for a long time. I've been watching dailies for, for over a year I've been on set, I've seen the cast, you know, dressed up and we haven't released anything like uh, nothing leaked. We didn't get any um, paparazzi because we had a very close set, you know, we weren't on, on mm -hmm. city streets or anything. We we're doing uh, things inside the silo that we built. And uh, so um, it's been painful, not, you know, everyone like, what can you share? What can you show us? And um, it wasn't until, uh, was it a week ago today? Uh, a week ago yesterday that um, we finally were able to show uh, Rebecca dressed up as Juliet and um, uh, the trailer itself, man, it hits hard. Like uh, mm -hmm. my, my wife has watched it like 20 times. I can, every now and then <laughs> I can hear the, the first like ding, ding from Juliet turning the lights on. And uh, I'm like, Oh my God, you watched it again. And watching it on our, on a TV is so different than seeing things on on laptops. Um, so you can go to Apple TV now and actually watch the trailer, and it's uh, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, that trailer is wild. I love it so much. Um, in terms of like where we are in production, I think we're what three months or two months away from release date. It's launching on May fifth. Uh, so what part of the process? would you say this is in for someone who may not be aware as to like what this adaptation process looks like? Everything's pretty much done now. Um, I, I don't know how much finishing touch um, they're, they're still playing with. Uh, we've, we've had the, the cut, you know, like what they call picture lock where everything is edited and this is how the episode is going to look. 
there's still things to do like sound and music mm-hmm. and special effects but we've we've had um you know the the edited episodes for um over six months or so and so we've been in post-production for a long time um but now it's a bunch of emails about you know when when promo stuff is going to happen you know when premiere dates are going to be uh what what cities people need to be in to talk to press and do things like that um the big announcement yesterday is uh there's a a can series it's um in the can france it's the um tv version of the can film festival um uh, silo is going to open up can series this year um right after we do promo stuff in london so uh that's super exciting um so morton who morton tilden who directed the first uh few episodes uh graham yost who show run who show ran the the show and um Rebecca, who plays Juliet, are all going to be there um, for that. And uh, hopefully uh, my wife and I can get down to to be there for opening night. That'd be pretty cool. But yeah, uh, that's... yeah so stuff like that's all rolling out. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's happening a lot quickly after years of kind of waiting and um, not being able to say anything and things happening very slowly. Now it's just like every day there's, there's stuff to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think last time you were on Writers Inc. or the time before that, you'd mentioned coming onto the set for like the first time and really seeing that. But uh, there's been plenty more production because I think you were on just as the year was ending in 2021, um, and there was still probably a bit more to film. So, how was being on set? Were you on set a few more times since then? And like, what did that look like when you were seeing this book come to life? I think the the set that we were on at the oh the end of 2021 um you seen uh, the end of last year or the end of 2021 because man it's been a while yeah. it feels like it's been a while since I've been on the silo set the last set I was on was um the the beacon set um it's it doesn't get old it's still crazy to walk on to these productions um and it's it's not just what they've built but what it takes to build it you know going mm-hmm. through all the blueprints and seeing all the graphic designs and um, it's, uh, in the case of silo, it was like building a small office building. And so you needed the same level of, um, planning and construction crews. And, um, there's one room where it's just blueprints are pouring out constantly. Um, and, you know, other, other rooms where they're just, uh, covered in, you know, paint chips and, um, different mm-hmm. fabrics and, uh, it, it's so and the time scale they're trying to do it on it's like it's a it's you're rushing to build something huge so um yeah i'm blown away every time i get even near a set and you know i uh it's it's crazy to think when when i watch a show i i have more of an appreciation for what went into that like just um watch severance recently and what you know seeing them walk through the corridors. I'm like, oh my God, I could just imagine what was involved <laughs> in, uh, in getting these shots. And it's actually, um, I have to stop myself from saying it, but like I'll, uh, from watching them set up so many shots now, I'll look at my wife, I'm watching something, I'll be like, I, I don't know how they got that shot. That's incredible. Like I'm, I'm appreciating the technical mastery of these cinematographers in a way that I never have before. Has that, impacted the way that you write 
No, I um, I'm working on the third sand book right now and another novel with mm -hmm. uh, a co-writer, and I, I still try to write like with just with my imagination. But mm -hmm. when I'm reading back over some of the things that I'm writing now, having written some scripts and adapted some stuff, I'm like, well, this is definitely a, a this is definitely a scene you'd have to change because this is too expensive. Um, <laughs> I kind of I can see the money uh, signs when I'm reading some scenes now, but I don't let that dissuade me because, you know, most things just don't get adapted. And if they do, you've solved those problems in the writer's room. But uh, I do giggle sometimes when I'm like, you know, writing something um, just absolutely insane. I'm like, well, they'll never film this. Right. And I guess, so what kind of challenges have you seen or during production that you maybe were made privy to, you know, changes that were involved? I know in one of your blog posts, you shared a picture of um, Jules and Holston together, which doesn't occur in wool, but it clearly is occurring in some form on silo. So I'm curious, what kind of changes were you made privy to that you can talk about? Well, that's that might be the only big one, but what I love about the you know they put that that shot out because it's two of their biggest stars on screen together, and if anyone else saw that shot, they'd be like, okay, there's two people talking, but um, anyone uh, and, and a lot of my fans were like, uh, you know, uh, hitting me up and my DMs and stuff, going like, wait, <laughs> what is is this a how how what's going on here? Um, mm -hmm. Because if you if you look at the the set list and who those actors are you're like that's Juliet and Holston and I've read the the books and we know that that must have happened at some point but it doesn't happen in the books so it's uh, it's a neat little um surprise for people who are fans of these two characters who both of them play such an extraordinary role in this story you know and the first version of Wool it was just Holston's story like he, he was everything and um right. uh Juliet was added as the book was serialized. So it had this really, um, you know, and it's because I didn't really have anything planned. Like I didn't know that first story was going to go bonkers the way it did. So um, there's a very uh, bolted together um, aspect to the to the plot in the in the cast of this uh, this book. And so I, I just love that image because it's a real a big hint to um, readers who know this book well that this TV show is going to have something a little extra to offer them. And I think they can assume like, okay, this is going to be like, we know she lost somebody. We know there was a murder investigation. Um, and if you're, if you're familiar with just those little aspects, that shot can, you know, really whet your appetite for what's coming. Mm -hmm. And so you've mentioned Beacon 23, and I know that there are some other works that may or may not be in, uh, some form of adaptation i'm curious what can you talk to us about those where are those in in stages of development and how's that experience uh been yeah there's uh man there's quite a few things uh, and beacon 23 has been uh that will come out uh, because we've got you know two seasons in the can so that's all been filmed and it's in post now i've seen some episodes um it looks phenomenal really excited about that um getting you know the same kind of pre-release stuff going so we can show people what we've, what we've got um but that's you know probably i don't know four or five months behind or maybe more um so we've got a while before we can start showing stuff um everything else is just scripts and 
and deals, but we're closing uh, a deal with San right now, which will be the third home that it's had uh, over the years. Had some amazing scripts written for that, and um, one by my friend Gary Witta, who's um, you know did um, Book of Eli and Rogue One. Mm-hmm. He wrote a phenomenal script, but uh, at the time FX, um, who was who had it, was uh, like we if we film this, it could be the number one show on TV, and we'd still lose money just because of the cost of production, which is something they were having with the expanse at the time. So mm-hmm. something that they learned from that show. Um, so it, it's found new homes and now we're landing it with another partner that we're really excited to work with. Um, and I, every stage of this, you know, there's like zero frustration for me. I'm just like excited that someone likes a book enough to want to adapt it um, and to get another script written, you know, and read that. Um, the Plagiarist, a short story that uh, I wrote right before Wool, um, that's got a couple of episodes written and it's amazing. Don't know if it'll ever get made, but boy, it's uh, it's incredible what the, the writers have done with that. Um, and uh, got a couple other things that are out there and and um, Deals Inc. Like there's an, a, an original show I created for uh, AMC with a friend, my writing partner, Matt. And mm-hmm. this world is bonkers. Like I just want this. I would love for this show to get made because it is. We've come up with so much incredible stuff, and there's no book version for people to go, you know, enjoy the world that we built or the characters. So we're like, we we at least want to get in the writers' room and flesh some of this out. Um, and we're getting a producer on. So it's already set up at a studio, but we're getting a producer on to try to help um, get it to where it needs to be. Maybe after the writer strike. Um, which is coming up uh, oof, in a couple of months. Um, yeah, so yeah, a lot of stuff in the works, but uh, I'm I'm amazed what this year has got an offer already. Like this is going to be just an insane year awesome. for me, just of good fortune, really. Yeah, and you had mentioned uh, your screenwriting with Matt, uh, which I know you were just starting, I think, when we last spoke. Uh, have you been working on multiple screenplays or are you just kind of focusing on that one AMC one? Yeah, we've we've, we've got so much. Uh, we, he and I have a document of ideas and uh, there's so many uh, shows that we've um, uh, not only come up with, but create created pitches for um mm-hmm. we've written a few pilots we've got one pilot was like really created a frenzy we, we had meetings with like 20 different people on it and uh we just finished a feature script which now we're going to adapt into a, a book so that if we do get a deal we can keep the ip and, and keep writing more books um uh yeah we're very prolific together and have a lot, lot of fun so it just doesn't feel like work uh writing with matt and his books uh, his full name's matt Michelados. his books are but he's just one of the most talented writers i've ever come across so um and then once we you know got to know each other he's just also one of the nicest guys i've ever met so it's just a thrill to work with someone that talented and 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 awesome yeah and with uh, screenwriting and novel writing, are you still doing 50-50 for those? Or how does that kind of look throughout the year? And it's more um, concentrated on what whatever project kind of mm-hmm. either has a due date or has our attention or um, that uh, we're often thinking about like what our 
agents need to have in their hand to go do what they want to do with it. Um, so if you, know, if you hand your agent like uh, 10 pilots, like that's too much. You can't go around town with that much different material. So you finish a pilot, you know, you get you get that out and then you can just work on a book or work on a feature, um, edit existing stuff. Uh, it's kind of bounce between um, not just what captures your attention, but what the, what the market can bear. Yeah. In a very long Twitter thread, uh, you kind of go through what uh, someone might expect in development and adaptation of their novel. And in there, I found it really fascinating because so many people talk about development hell and you called it development heaven. Um, and I know that this thread was written um, about a year ago. I'm curious, how has seeing this book come to this point uh, with it being so close to being released? How has that opinion strengthened or changed um, as you've gone to this process and nearing that finish line? It's definitely strengthened. I, I read, That thread went up like uh, a week before Wool and Beacon 23 got greenlit. Um, so uh, at the time I was writing about managing expectations because nothing really gets made. So just enjoy mm -hmm. the, whatever process you're in. And even the next week when this both got greenlit, I've had I've had uh, people tell me before that a project was greenlit and then didn't get made. So even when that happened, I was like, that's awesome. Like really excited for you guys because um, it's uh, there's no part of me that's thinking it's actually going to get made. But I'm ex super excited for that next step and for people to be um, still excited for the project because a lot of times you get a deal and you just never, you know, uh, people move on to another project they're interested in and you don't get updates. You're not hearing from people. The uh, initial excitement that landed the deal just kind of fades um, as people don't know what to do with the project or how to take next steps. So I take, you know, the heaven part is like, it's just awesome to have uh, an entire other industry interested in your story and wanting to, to turn it into something. Um, but not everyone is like that. I've got writer friends who are just like miserable as their things are getting made because they're making changes in there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I, you know, I've definitely, um, uh, there's been parts of the process that are just like, you know, annoying or you just have to keep reminding yourself, oh my God, I'm living my dream. I can't believe someone is even interested in this. So to keep constantly, and that's part of what that thread is for even me. It's a reminder to myself, like, um, you never thought you'd be in this position and appreciate that every single day and, and appreciate each step. Like it's the apex. Mm -hmm. And there, like you'd mentioned just now, and then there were points in the thread as well, where you kind of reach this point where people kind of expect you to push back and you're just like, yeah, cool. I'm fine with it. Let's go that direction. Has there been a point in this where you've maybe had to stand your ground on a, an opinion uh, with your work as it's getting adapted or have you been very off hands kind of just accepting it as it changes? I definitely give notes and some of them, you know, I'm pretty, um, uh, I, I feel like things could be better in places and I'll, um, you know, make sure that everyone on the team like has my idea for how to make the story better. It's very rarely like, um, 
this is the book, don't change it. It's more, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like there's a better version of this. Um, uh, I'm usually the one who's pushing things away from the original um, story and saying, why don't we, could, could we make this better this time? Um, there have been some changes that uh, I feel like make the world less interesting or the story weaker or characters' motivations a little muddled. And so when a change like that happens, uh, all I want to know from um, the director, the showrunner, the producers, the writers who are suggesting this change is what their uh, idea and motivation is. Like, how is this going to pay out? Yeah. Um, if, if we're going to deviate from what's already established, how does it make it better? And if they have a good reason for that, I'm all for it. Um, yeah. Some changes are, are, are arbitrary and it's just like, well, we just decided to do this. And those are the ones that I'm like, you know, let's, 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 let's workshop that a bit. Let's figure out how to, how to actually make the story better. Cause it's an opportunity. Like when I publish a book, like uh, it's just been, you know, one person daydreaming how, you know, what could happen here. And when you get eight people together, you know, like let's uh, let's improve the story. Um, and that's usually my motivation. I just want to tell the best version of, of every story uh, possible. Yeah. It sounds a lot like um, kind of like that acting yes and approach. Whereas instead of being like a hard no, you're just like, okay, cool, but let's explore this idea a little more. And that's, I've learned that a ton through co-writing is like the work is not your work as much as it's a, a piece of development that can only get better if you just continue to accept that you know there are other minds that are kind of interacting with it so that's great and i guess in, in terms of advice for writers earlier in the step and and trying to figure out how to even get their books to uh this point where they may or may not be adapted um what advice would you give to those writers that are kind of looking to get a shoe in? Um, it's a good question. I mean, there's just so much, so much that's not in our control. There's so much luck involved. Um, if you would have, if you would have told me when I was working in a bookstore and self-publishing novels and short stories and writing in very different genres and writing at links that publishers weren't even, wouldn't even touch, you know, uh, these novelettes and things like that. Um, and if you would have told me, um, just thinking of a couple of, um, like one of my favorite writers is, uh, Neil Stevenson and I've read, you know, all of his stuff. And I think he's an absolute genius. I've been fortunate enough to get to know him. And he's like one of the nice, he's maybe the nicest guy, uh, in writing. Um, and you would think that people would be lining up to adapt his works and every, all of it's been, you know, um, uh, optioned like none of his I don't think any of his works are available because they he, he, he's so successful he's so talented um uh, you know diamond age just like is begging to be uh adapted I would love to see a game of thrones uh version of his um the quicksilver um mm -hmm. baroque cycle um if you would have told me back then working at that bookstore that you're gonna have two tv shows made before Neil gets a film or TV show made, I'd say you're absolutely crazy. Like here's a guy who's won everything. Um, uh, and so how do you make sense of that? Like I could tell a writer, okay, here's how you get adapted. Go have, go get, go have Neil Stevenson's career. And that's not even a guarantee. 
And so yeah. those kinds of perspectives are a constant reminder to myself just how lucky and how difficult it is. Another learning, um, I, I'm now like around a lot of people who who have had a you know big success in Hollywood, like two um, you know Oscars just went to like two people from my wedding party. Like I'm <laughs> seeing friends you know have success, and I'm around people who are getting things made all the time. All those people are struggling to get their next project off the ground. And so the idea that once you've had success, then, you know, you can just make whatever show you want and do anything you want, even that's not true. So how do you tell someone who's like, work? let's say they're working on their first book and they're thinking, man, how do I get Hollywood interested in this? I can tell you that the biggest names, like name anybody you can think of, they're all working on that same question. Yep. What does that mean for us as writers? It means um you know there's no shortcuts even for people who are established um there's there's no sense to it really there's there's so much luck involved and i what i tell myself and i guess this is my advice to other writers is remind yourself of the things that you can control so you can control like how you um how you comport yourself with other creatives with your fan base like you, the first thing you can do is make sure that you're someone that other people want to work with or want to see succeed. So make yourself, you know, and this is life advice that everyone I think should follow. Be the best version of yourself that you could possibly be. Don't just like write the best version of the story. Like be the mm -hmm. best version of yourself um, that you can control. Relationships matter so much in, in every industry, but in publishing and in Hollywood. Um, the other thing you can control is like, is your story engaging? Um, you should be trying to get as many readers as, as humanly possible. So write stories that captivate people, that make them read to the very end, that keep the pages turning, that make people want to tell other people, you know, about this story. And that's so such obvious advice. It sounds like really too simple. But if you remind yourself of it, when you're writing, you're like, what is this boring filler scene? Where it's just characters talking about you know like how do i how do i make this something no one's ever seen before and how do i make this compelling and how do i improve my prose so that it's you know reads clearly and crisply but is also kind of turns a phrase that you know make people like want to reread a sentence um that goes back to like what are you reading how are you improving your craft so you know the it's a long answer and there's not much uh, not much actionable there, except that, that it's it's super difficult. Um, the things that you can do to improve your chances will also make you a better writer. So just work on those things. And I think that Twitter thread really says it all that like, mm -hmm. just manage your expectations. Like it, it seems like everybody's getting, you know, The Last of Us, like incredible video game is getting made into some of the you know best TV out this year. And wow, like that must have been so easy to do. You know, Craig Mason's story and Neil Druckmann's story get to the, the people behind this that finally got that to the finish line. They'll tell you a 10 year saga, a decade yeah. long saga behind how they got to this point. And Silo's 12 years or so um, since we did the first deal with Ridley Scott or going back to self publishing that first story. 
So it's like, I think you would get dissuaded if you said, all right, sit down to write in 12 years. Let me tell you what's going to start to happen. Like, I don't know how you even make, make any progress with that kind of a horizon. Instead, you just, if you're, if you just remember, I'm that guy in the bookstore, who's got a, a day job and my passion is telling stories, like keep your head in that space and let the rest, you know, uh, work itself out. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect advice because so many people are focused more on what can I do in the future, but realistically, everything is very grounded in the now. It's it's not only the relationships that you kind of need to build now with other authors and your fan base, but just focusing on what is in front of you and making that the best version you possibly can. Um, and I love that approach. It's very, uh, very Zen, very uh, focused. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, I believe the first two episodes of Silo release May 5th. So uh, if we don't chat before then, I would love to chat after those episodes release. Yeah, for sure. I love that it's May the 5th. It's like Uh the day after Star Wars Day. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, JP. So I want to know what's been the hardest thing that you've had to wait on as an author. Crickets. Everything. You've never had to oh, wait I, on I, anything? I, I mean, news? Well, think about JD it. jumps right in. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to give somebody else a shot. Uh, I mean, honestly, like everything about this profession is it circles around rejection and, and letdowns, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's really cool to have a book published, but you know, like before that happens, you're getting agents telling you why it shouldn't be. You're getting publishers telling you why it shouldn't be. Then it finally gets out there and gets published. And, you know, then you've got film and TV p- people telling you why it shouldn't be on the screen. Um, you know, so it's there's constant letdowns. I mean, it's it's a big roller coaster, to be honest with you. And you touched on it. And we've talked about this before. You know, like you get option, you know, then, you know, two years goes by and nothing happens. You know, everybody's excited at the beginning, but then they get pulled in 10 different directions. Um, you know, that option expires and either gets renewed or you go somewhere else. And the whole process starts all over again. Um, it's just there's so many different people that have to come together you know, to make one of these, you know, Dan Brown once told me that you just watch the credits at the end of a movie, every single person that's listed there needed to be there in order for that thing to get to the screen. You know, that's what this process is like, you know, so when he options something like wool, you know, then they have to go out and find all those people. They have to write it. They have to film it. Everything has to line up. It has to fit budget. There's just so many millions of different things that, that take place. It's the, it's that gap of waiting to find out whether it's real that that is always the most nerve wracking though, because I've had things optioned in the past and they fell apart, you know, something, one reason or another, they decided to go a different direction. And, um, I'm, I'm adjusted. Like I, I can, I can tolerate the rejection and, and the thing falling Mm -hmm. apart. I I never, I don't, my hopes never rise until I see the check (laughs) with my name on it. Right. But the, the sitting and waiting to find out whether or not, it's really going to happen this time. That's the thing that that is the most nail biting for me. Yeah, same. Yeah, I, I think. Um, but my my film TV agent, he's in California, and I'm I'm on the East Coast. Um, so when he calls me, you know, when something happens, it's usually like late at night. So like when I see my caller ID light up with my film agent, and it's nine o'clock at night, I know it's either something really good or something really bad. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't just call to shoot the shit. It's usually one one or the other. Um, and you get equal amounts of of both of those. You know. You, 
And that's, you know, I think part of the problem with all this, but like Kevin just said, you know, like it, it happens over and over again, you know, you, you will get option multiple times. You know, most projects in my experience take about 10 years from start to finish before they actually get done. Like that's for whatever reason seems to be the magic number. Everybody you talk yeah. to now it was about 10 years, you know, this happened, that happened, this happened, but it took about 10 years. Yeah. Um, so that that seems to be the norm. Um, you know, I, I, I was really good friends with Dallas Mayer. Um, he, he wrote under the name Jack Ketchum. Um, and he told me once that he actually made more money from the options and those types of things than he actually did from the films that actually got made. Um, because, you know, options would expire. He'd go out and they would get another one and another one and another one. And those were steady yeah. checks coming in. Um, yeah. And one of the things that you notice on the Hollywood side, and I've seen this with a couple of my projects already, you know, like those options, like your, your book basically becomes a known commodity. You know, it's like it gets optioned by somebody and if that happens two or three times the second that the, the option is available somebody is out there and they pounce on it and a lot of times they pounce just for the sake of just having the the ip and you know they may not plan on making it either but they just want to make sure somebody else doesn't make it in case they want to um but like i'm kind of at that point with certain titles where they just you know that option is out there for like 10 minutes and then somebody scoops it up you know so why not have you had <clears throat> have any of you had uh the experience of someone optioning or reserving it um just to prevent it from being done? I, I think that happened with Dracul. Um, but, you know, Hollywood is is fickle. You know, like it, it's very difficult to actually find out. But like when Dracul came out, um, when they were, we were circling around New York and California talking about it, uh, the dark universe was very big as a topic um, over at Universal. Um, so Paramount jumped all over to cool and bought that up quickly. Um, and they put a lot of money out there to make sure nobody else could get it. And, and I think that was because of the dark universe, you know, like they had the yeah. mummy, they had, you know, they had stuff, but they didn't have a, a Dracula title yet. And this would have given them a fresh one. And I think Paramount didn't want universal to have it. Um, but you know, that's total speculation. There, there's no data whatsoever to back it up. Yeah. So I'm curious, like when you're writing your novels, do you think about how your work would adapt to the screen when you're writing? Do you try to intentionally make it cinematic or is that not something you think about? I did with Caller's Game, um, but more from because everything up till that point that I had done had gotten optioned. You know, so like when I wrote Caller's Game, I'm like, I'm going to make something. I'm going to write a book that they can't possibly film just to see what happens. Um, and if you read Caller's Game, like I blow up like half of New York in, in that book. And like, you know, it's it's a hundred to two hundred million dollar movie if they were to actually film it the way that I've got it written. I was like, there's no way they're going to film this. Um, but there's a production company behind it. It's optioned. Like there, there's something happening there. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't mean that they're going to do what I have in the book, you know, which which is the other thing that that you know he kind of touched on you know like once you know, these people step in there you know they could take your story in a completely different direction a lot of parts can come out new stuff can go in you know and, and you know it may not be even remotely similar to what you started with um, which is all fine you know it's it's a different product at that point yeah. all of mine are written every, just about every book i've ever written was was primarily written with a sort of tv angle uh, because that was kind of I had a, a bit of a background in TV and, but you know, the, the stories that always resonated most with me tended to be, it tended to come from that arena. Uh, so I had a lot of things like we've talked about before. We all, now everybody says that prologues are dead, but you know, I did the whole prologue thing as a kind of cold open the way all those old detective shows and stuff would always do. Uh, so everything I crafted was sort of, had that eye to it, not necessarily that I was hoping it would get picked up for TV, but that's sort of the, uh, that's sort of the way I organize story, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same for me. Um, I, I'm still like a fledgling author, I guess you would say, but 
I've just always been able to kind of like picture the story flowing as if it's a movie or a TV. So I'm not like doing it intentionally so that it gets picked up, but I envision the story as if like, what do my set pieces look like? And kind of in that sense. And it's just kind of subconscious at this point. Yeah. And I don't know if it's right, but <laughs> no, I'm, and I'm trying to intentionally say, what does this look like? Like, not just what are the words, but what does this look like? You know, and I thought it was interesting when, uh, you know, he was talking about the sound of it, too, and not just like adding sounds like a door creaking or footsteps, but like, you know, and if you have a movie, if someone is talking like a lion growling, like you hear that. So how do you translate that onto the words uh, on the page so that you can hear your voice is better. So I thought he had an interesting way of describing that. So that was pretty cool. Um, I know he also mentioned the WGA strike. I, I meant to look that up today, but I did not. I saw that that might be happening. Um, does anyone know any more about that or how that's going to affect Hollywood streaming? We're still in a kind of wait and see. It, it's a big conversation. Um, at least I've had it a couple of times in the last f- few months. And, and the essential take is, OK, do we try to get out before the strike or do we wait until after, you know, with whatever the idea or, or project is? Um, I've got two right now that they you know, basically rush to try and get in front of it. Um, and I've got uh, one other one um, that they're waiting, like particularly till after. Um, you know, these, these things happen too, you know, like everybody, you know, we've, we've seen it before and the whole world just kind of comes grinding to a halt. And the problem is with taking something out now, knowing that the, it's a strike, I think is May 1st is when it's supposed to start. Um, you know, even if you find a studio that wants your particular project, they may not bite right now because, you know, they're thinking, well, you know, strike like it's coming up. <laughs> we, we don't want to you know, pick this up and not be able to get writers. So like it puts everybody into this, this holding pattern. Yeah. And I loved how Hugh talked about working with um, other writers on the book, too. And he just has uh, so much humility for having so much work out there that's being made and being so accomplished. He just really appreciates uh, having his book uh, being made into a visual medium. And I loved how he talked about it as an opportunity to improve the story with other writers. So, um, you know, I know JP and I both are big into collaboration. Uh, How do you think stories improve when you bring other people in and work on it to improve it? Well, he's way better at it than I am. Um, because I, I've gotten those notes, um, you know, where we want to make this change, we want to make that change. And like, you know, the, the last one that I saw, like it, it literally took the story in a totally different direction. And like my brain immediately starts to, you know, look at, okay, well, if you do this, then that's going to basically domino and cause this, this, and this, this to happen. Um, you know, that, that could be good or bad, but like my general you know process, and this is totally wrong is I get very protective of the story at that point. Like, you know, if they can't get it right, I don't want them to do it at all. I'm going to take my ball and go home kind of thing. Um, <laughs> that is the wrong way to approach this. The way Hugh is doing it is the right way, you know, look at it. If it doesn't work, you know, get everybody in a room and say, okay, let's workshop this. Let's try and think, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish with this? You know, okay, for me, it didn't work when I read it, but let's see if we can tweak it a little bit and then get that to happen. Um, yeah, that, that's by far the better way to do it. And I'm going to actually work on that myself. Yeah, I really like that a lot. Just, you know, the critical thinking, why are you making this decision? Is it arbitrary? If yes, then no. Uh, if it's improving the story, then let's work on that. And I really love that attitude. Take Hugh's advice to try to be my best self. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite adaptions uh, was Lev Grossman's The Magicians, uh, and it's because the series was so focused on a primary character, and the sci-fi series took that and made basically like 
eight protagonists all coming from different angles. And the fun thing about that world was there were alternate universes. So it was almost as if the uh, visual aspect of it, the sci-fi series was an alternate universe to the book. And they coordinated together in a way that they became their own stories and they rebounded on each other so that you could enjoy both pieces and they had the same heart, but they were very different. Um, and I, that's one of the reasons why, um, I feel like if any story that I had were to be expanded on and changed in a different medium, I would be more receptive to seeing what those changes are based off of, uh, a professional in that medium and see like what direction do they want to take it because of stories like that and how well they succeeded. Yeah. A good way to probably research that a few authors have done this. Um, Stephanie Myers, I think went back through twilight and rewrote it from Edward's standpoint instead of, uh, I, I forget the, the girl's name. Um, but it completely changes the story. You know, when you, when you see it from that perspective, um, the woman who wrote uh, 50 shades, she did the same thing. She went back and rewrote it, you know, from the, the male perspective. Um, and again, totally different story when you do that. Um, I think when you're in a writer's room, you know, they, they tend to, to brainstorm that a little bit more, you know, as an author, when you sit down, you're like, well, this is my lead character. This is, you know, the story is from their point of view and you just kind of go with it. You don't really think about it. Um, but I've personally, I've gotten, you know, a third of the way through a book before, and you know, just realized this POV isn't, isn't right. This isn't the one to tell the story. And I've gone back and changed it. Um, so I don't think you should ever be afraid to do that. I, I think this is just a, a far more, you know, because film and TV is so collaborative, it's just a expanded way to, to look at that. Yeah, if it's done right, I think that's I, it's absolutely the most powerful way to go because you're you're in, at that point you're being additive. You're you know you're you're creating mm -hmm. in that universe rather than trying to tell the same story, and that means that the the people get so disappointed. And, I, and I've been there too. There there have been adaptations that I'm I'm like Jumper, for example, uh, and I remember talking with uh, <laughs> Stephen Gould, the author of that series, about that about that film when it came out and he bent over backwards to not criticize it. But, um, privately, you know, he's like, you know, he didn't like it and he didn't like what, what they did with it, but he didn't have any control over that. And, uh, as a fan of the book first and then, you know, eagerly anticipating the movie, I was very disappointed in the treatment of the, of that universe. You know, I didn't mind the change, the changes made to the character, uh, in terms of the uh, personality and the flow of the story and that sort of thing, that felt natural to me, but they changed like a fundamental thing about his ability. And that really, that's what set me off. Uh, but if you do this right, I mean, there are, de there are definitely adaptations that feel more like we're going to step into this universe that was created by this book and we're going to tell new stories in it. And, and I appreciate those. Those are the ones I'm actually in for. I want, I want to see that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was great having Hugh back on the show and hope you guys enjoyed this bonus episode. And if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersinkpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.